As I was preparing this sermon on, the gos- on today's gospel text, REM's 1987 hit, It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine, sprung to mind. That song's had moments of recurring popularity. The run-up to Y2K, I remember it being on all the time, the aftermath of 9-11. Harold Camping's End of the World Prediction in 2011. Fears about the Mayan long count calendar in 2012 and one terrible action movie. And now as we hunker down from COVID-19. It's natural for human beings to wonder and worry about the end of the world. So natural, in fact, that some people have turned that wonder and fear into a business. The late Tim LaHaye, along with Jerry Jenkins, capitalized on the apocalyptic fervor of the late 90s and early 2000s by writing the Left Behind series. Jim Baker is still hawking survival kits on television, despite his fall from grace in the 1980s. Perhaps most notoriously, Hal Lindsey, the author of the late great planet Earth, who, and who predicted the second coming multiple times in the 1980s, is still on TBN. He's still on TV. But lest we Lutherans gloat, we might want to remember that Martin Luther dabbled in this a bit himself. He firmly believed that the Pope was the Antichrist, described in first, the first letter of John, and he also connected plagues and wars in his time with end times prophecy in the Gospels and the book of Revelation. While Luther wrote that he could not find Christ in Revelation, in his first preface to, to the book of Revelation, in his second preface, written later in his life, he goes all in on end time speculation connecting this person with this bowl of God's wrath and that person with that bowl of God's wrath. It's, 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 it's embarrassing, really, 500 years later. So with today's gospel, we need to be extremely careful. One summer, I worked at Barron's in Winona, Minnesota, galvanizing metalware. To prepare the product for a liquid zinc coating, we had to wash the metalware, first in sulfuric acid and then in ammonia. So that meant we had to wear all kinds of protective wear on the floor. Rubber gloves, you know, a full length, uh, some, a full length like rubber apron and, and long sleeves. And we had to wear this even when the factory floor was over 100 degrees. This is in the middle of July, so it was blazing hot. And there was no air conditioning, of course. You had to wear this protective wear because otherwise you would soon find a hole in your clothes or in your skin if you weren't careful. Sometimes I think we should put on spiritual protective wear before we handle a passage like this for similar reasons. If we tie current events too closely, if we're too eager to tie what's happening in the world to, to this scripture passage, we risk burning holes in our relationships with our neighbors. We categorize one group of people. We fall into the age-old trap of categorizing one group of people as righteous and the other as hell-bound. When in fact, that judgment is way above our pay grade and we have no business, no business dabbling in such speculation. With that in mind, our gospel picks up where we left off last week. Jesus has just noticed 
the woman putting her, the widow putting her last two coins in the temple treasury. You remember that? And as they leave, the disciples make a remark that proved just how country they are. They're like tourists in New York uh, looking up at the Empire State Building or in Chicago looking up at the looking up at the Hancock Center or the Sears Tower. What large stones and what great buildings. They, they hadn't seen anything like this before. And it truly was impressive. If you've ever seen a model of the temple in the second temple period, it really was quite a sight. Marble, gold. It, was, it, was, it must have been astounding. Well, Jesus is not impressed. Yeah, about that. It's all going to come down. We need to pause a moment to realize two things. First, what Jesus says must have shocked his disciples. Remember that ancient Jews believed that the temple was where the presence of God dwelled on earth. And many Jews today still believe that the presence of God dwells in some way on the Temple Mount, where the Holy of Holies was. So there is this sense that that was the center of the universe for them. It's hard to think of, of, uh, of something, you know, predicting something that will crumble that would be quite as shocking. You know, by prophesying the fall of the temple, Jesus is prophesying nothing less than the end of the world as they know it. The second thing to realize is that Jesus is right in line with Jewish prophetic tradition. Specifically, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who spoke, both spoke against the corruption of the temple in their day. Jeremiah especially takes particular aim at the people's false sense of security that just because the temple of the Lord is, is, in, is here that nothing's going to happen to Jerusalem. Jesus says that their world is going to crumble and everything that follows is teaching on how to respond amid such chaos. James, John, Peter, and Andrew ask him privately to elaborate about when this is going to happen. But Jesus doesn't answer the question until verse 32. And even then, it's not much of an answer. He says, only the Father knows. Even he doesn't know when the end will be. Besides, for Jesus, knowing the date is not important Trying to suss out the end times timetable helps absolutely no one and in fact has caused great harm throughout the church and throughout church history. What is more important is how we live now. You see, apocalyptic literature, and the word apocalypse simply means revealing or unveiling, apocalyptic literature has one overarching purpose to reveal what is actually happening and to give the faithful hope when the world is going to hell whatever happens in our world jesus reminds us that the present darkness is not everlasting wars and rumors of wars earthquakes famines jesus says we need not fear any of these No, rather, Jesus calls us to watch for him, not in anxiety, not in fear, but in hopeful expectation. Notice what Jesus says in verses 28 and 29. 
after describing his return using imagery from Daniel 7, the Son of Man will return on the clouds, Jesus uses an unexpected image, a fig tree in spring. Considering what Jesus just did to a fig tree in Mark 11, the image is a bit startling. Jesus likens the end of the world to a budding fig tree. He compares it to the onset of summer, not winter. And make your own comparisons to Game of Thrones. It's very different, isn't it? Summer is coming, not winter. The end is really going to be a new beginning. And that's right in line with what we hear in the rest of Scripture, in Revelation 21 especially, where the new heaven and the new earth arrive. God is making all things new. This isn't pie-in-the-sky stuff. This is assurance that God is working within and around us now, that God deeply cares for this creation as it is now and will make it new. God is doing new things now. That glimpses of that new creation can be seen now, even when all that is before us and all that are senses can perceive at first glance is a crumbling world. In fact, one way God's new creation might be seen in the coming weeks and months is in how we treat our neighbors. Are we going to be driven by fear, swayed by false information, by people who want to capitalize on this? Remember the rumors of wars in verse 7. There was fake news back then, too. Or are we going to use the brains and hearts that God gave us to respect, love, and protect our neighbors, whoever they may be? There are a lot of wolves out there today who want nothing less than to capitalize on this virus for themselves. But we who belong to Jesus have the Holy Spirit leading us down a different road. It's not an easy road. Not an easy road at all. After all, we have to pick up our cross to follow. We have to pick up our cross to follow Jesus and to go down it. But Jesus assures us that is the road that leads to salvation, not just for us individually, but for all people who belong to Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know that the fear that many of us have And you know the fear that is gripping our world. Calm the stormy waters of our lives. Calm our hearts and our minds and remind us that the Spirit will lead us safely home. Guide our hearts and minds this week to love and serve our neighbor, whoever they may be.